It's good to be able to speak with you this morning. Um, I'm going to tell you guys a story uh, or something that happened to me a couple weeks ago. So uh, I had a friend who was coming through town. He is the former pastor who was at the church when I was out in Kentucky. And he was coming through town. And uh, so he took our family out to eat. We went to uh, Joe's Kansas City, which was really, really good. Um, And then we went to a Royals game, which, of course, sadly to say, we lost. But we went to the Royals game, and uh, we took Judah with us to to the Royals game. And we ended up in section 105, which is in the outfield, and it's right behind the opposing bullpen. And we were front row. It was some fun seats there. We took our baseball gloves. We were ready for a Solaire home run, which never happened, by the way. Um, but we were there, and for the first three innings, Judah, which we, we've been with Judah before, and he knows that he gets to see Slugger uh, at the fourth inning. But uh, he had a hard time waiting for that. So for the first three innings, all I heard is, when do we get to see Slugger? Is it time to see? Can we go, can we go line up? Can we go see Slugger? And I'm like, you got to hold on. It's a fourth inning. We, we're not at the fourth inning yet. And so finally, it comes to the fourth inning. We go line up. We go uh, get ready to see Slugger, and he can hardly control himself. He is just so excited. He's just like, he's just kind of bouncing around. He's clapping. He's giggling. He's so excited to see Slugger. But as we get closer and closer in the line, he starts getting more and more quiet. He is so excited to see Slugger, and there's Slugger apparently has a, some sort of respect that is due to him, and, and Judah's eyes started getting bigger and bigger, and there's a picture of us when we got to see Slugger here. He is in awe of Slugger. He gets to see and hang out with Slugger, and we got free shirts, by the way, there too. It was a fun shirt night. Um, and so then after that, we went back to our, we got a big, you know, $9, big, huge drink. Um, and then we uh, went down and we sat in our front row. And this is Judah. We're watching. He's got his glove ready for the Solaire home run. And it, like I said, it never happens. But we're there. And uh, so for, he, he's, he's with that big soda drink. He's good for another inning or two. And then he kind of is starting to get a little bored. There's not much action happening until right below us, the bullpen starts warming up for the A's. Um, and so he notices that, and he's like, Dad, look, there's people down there, cool. And, uh, but I'm talking to Phil, my friend here, and I'm sitting there talking, and before long, all of a sudden, I hear Judah yelling. And I'm like, what is going on? Why is Judah yelling? And so I look over, and I see he has leaned over the, the, the railing. He's like, throw the ball up here! <laughs> throw it up here, I'm here! And he just did not realize why these people were playing baseball. They're playing catch, and they're not including him into this game. He's got his glove. He's ready to go, and nobody's throwing him the ball. And I thought it was pretty funny because, you know, on one hand, Slugger has this all this respect that is due him, and we're here to watch a baseball game, and these people who are the object of the baseball game, he's just like, why aren't you throwing me the ball here? You know, it's funny. Have you ever had a moment where you didn't realize that the person that you were with at the moment was somebody who is famous or important? Uh, <laughs> I actually asked this on Facebook, and I got a, a, a few fun responses. One was Natalie Crow. I don't know if she's here this morning, but she says, I was in an elevator with Peyton Manning in the seventh grade, and I didn't know anything about football, so someone had to explain to me who he was and why he was famous. 
Uh, Jeff Park said that he was with, when he was a kid, he was with his family to, uh, I believe it was old Tucson, where they filmed some of the old Westerns. And he was there and um, they were having a hard time seeing. His sister was having a hard time seeing. So a nice man put uh, her up on his shoulder so, he, so she could see. Found out later it was Clint Eastwood. It's kind of crazy. It changes things when we realize who some of these people are, doesn't it? We treat that person differently. We listen to them differently. They're due some respect. When we respect somebody, the weight of their words is a lot more powerful, isn't it? And when we don't uh, respect somebody, we treat their words as at best average, and, and in many cases, we take it with a grain of salt. So let me, let me ask you this question. How do you see Jesus? Because let me tell you, it makes all the difference. Do you see Jesus as a Santa Claus who just gives us everything we want? Do you see Jesus as, as a stern father who's just there to give you rules and is happy to also give out discipline when you, when you fail? Do you see Jesus as a pushover who wouldn't hurt a fly? Because like I said, how we see Jesus makes all the difference. I'm going to be speaking uh, three times over the next couple months. And they're not going to be in consecutive weeks, but I decided I was going to make it kind of a series. And I decided what I'm going to speak on is something that's been kind of working on in my heart. It's three different views of Jesus in Revelation. And I know you're thinking, man, why am I taking the easy route and speaking on Revelation? Such an easy book to talk on. Um, but it's just something that's been kind of working on my heart. And another th uh, something that I've learned in Revelation is this. If you lose sight of Jesus in Revelation you've lost sight of what Revelation is intended to reveal. You've lost sight of the whole purpose of Revelation. And so as we look at these three images of Jesus, I think that it will, it will help Revelation make even more sense. And I'm also speaking on it because I truly believe that these three views of Jesus have the power to change lives. The first view that we're going to see here is that Jesus is, that, is, is the holy anointed one. And we're going to be looking in Revelation chapter 1. We'll highlight, kind of skim over in a sense, two and three, and we'll also be looking at Daniel chapter seven. And I encourage you to, to open up to Revelation one and maybe put a bookmark in Daniel chapter seven, because we'll be looking at both of those predominantly. And what's happening here in Revelation one is John is the writer. John the disciple, John the follower, John the apostle. He's old on, he's far along in age at this point. Uh, most of the, pretty much every, all the rest of the disciples have been uh, killed for their faithfulness, and John is, is exiled on the island of Patmos. And while John is worshiping, I don't know how he's worshiping, he's by himself, he's worshiping, I don't know how you do that, I don't know if he's on the, you know, 32nd verse of just as I am, or what's going on, but in the middle of this, all of a sudden, a loud voice happens, like a trumpet, if you could imagine, you know, we're here in this nice little worship service and somebody came in and all of a sudden just started playing a trumpet. That'd really disrupt things, wouldn't it? Do you ever think Jesus is more concerned about what we learn from things or us hearing than just sitting here worshiping and enjoying ourselves? I see that's what's happening here is Jesus is interrupting John's worship service and he says, hey, I've got a few things for you. You're going to see some images. You're going to see this vision. And I want you to write down everything that you see, and I want you to send it to seven churches. And so that's where we pick it up. Revelation verse one, or chapter 1, verse 12. And here's what it says. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, 
I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Let me stop here already. We see two images. We see the seven golden lampstands. And these are the seven churches. You want to know how I know? You look down in verse 20, it says that. It says, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So these are the seven churches that are being written to. And it says that in the midst of them, in the middle of them, is, is someone, is the Son of Man. Son of Man is a phrase that's used uh, multiple times in the Bible. It's used in the Old Testament, predominantly in, uh, pretty much in three books, uh, predominantly in Ezekiel. Ezekiel uses it like 93 out of like 100 times in the Old Testament. And each of these times that it's used in Ezekiel, God is using it not as a, as a great phrase. He's saying to Ezekiel, listen, understand your place. You are son of man. I am God. Don't question me. You are son of man. In the New Testament, it's used completely differently. Uh, it's used exclusively for Jesus. In fact, Jesus refers to himself predominantly with this phrase. Uh, it, it's, it's him saying, listen, I am, I am one of you. I am a son of man as well. It, it's a powerful thing that we see, and it's, it's a whole different usage of that term son of man. And here's, let's look in Daniel chapter 7, because this phrase comes up again. And it gives us a vision of why... Why, how these kind of fit in together with the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Daniel chapter 7, starting with verse 9, it says this, I watched as thrones were put in place. This is a vision by Daniel, by the way. He's having kind of a revelation-type vision. It says, I watched as thrones were put in place, and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. And down below it says, Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. You see, we, we see the Ancient of Days here. This is a vision of God. He is the one who has been forever. He is ancient. We see images of his holiness and of his wisdom. His hair is white like wool. It's representative of his wisdom. And his clothes are white, representing his holiness. It, it talks about these things. Um, and then we see that it says that he, his throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were ablaze. I know some of you might drive fast. That's not exactly what we're seeing here. It's, it's a different type of thing. And when you lower, it says the court was seated and the books were opened. God is here to judge. And before him, all these four great kingdoms of the world come before him. And he judges each of them and each of them are found not worthy. And then it says this. In verse 13, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Where's another place in the Bible where we see this, where we hear this image of someone going up in the clouds? Can you think of any other time? Acts 1.9. This is Jesus has lived, he has died, he has been buried, and he has risen again. And he has been with his people, his disciples. And it says in Acts 1, chapter 9, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. You see, what I think has happened is I think Daniel has been given a vision of the future, this moment when Jesus has left the sight of the disciples and he is rising up into heaven. It's a very powerful moment. And, and someone like a son of man goes before God the Father, the ancient one. 
And let's see what happens here. It says, he approached the ancient one and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. See, all the other kingdoms were found not worthy, but the Son of Man goes before God the Father. He is one of us, one of us who has gone before the Father and has been found worthy. And God gives him the keys to the kingdom. All authority and power and everything is given over to him. What an amazing moment. So now that we understand this, this image of Son of Man and what he is doing, let's look back into Revelation. Let's complete this image of Jesus in Revelation. Let me read again in verse 12. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. Remember, the seven churches. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, Jesus here. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. So let me ask you, what does this image mean? There's a lot of things we see here. Well, first off, we said we see the Son of Man, the one who is like us, who has gone before the Father and has been found worthy. He has done what we cannot do. But second here, we see some other images we see that he was wearing a long robe and a gold sash across his chest. This is an image of a priest. That's what they would wear. So what this means is, is he perfectly atones for our sins. We also see some more images. We see his, his hair was white like wool, white as snow. Remember that we saw that earlier, didn't we? What does that mean? It means that he is wise. He is um, he is wise to be able to, to um, govern and rule. And his feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. What we see here is the idea of power and authority. You see, Jesus is our King of kings. He is our Lord of lords. His rule is powerful and endless. And we also see that here he holds the seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword comes from his mouth. Jesus' words are true, and they can cut, but they cut good. They cut away the evil. And so we see the idea of a prophet here. There are three roles in the Old Testament, or sorry, in the Bible, that people were anointed for, that they were set apart for as a special calling. They were priest, king, and prophet. Jesus fulfills all three of these. He becomes the son of man who is like us, who fulfills all the important earthly roles and he goes before the Father and is found worthy. What an amazing thing. So we can see here what this image means of Jesus. But here, I want to challenge you even more. Because you know what? I don't think that Jesus cares as much about what the image means as what the image does. I don't think he just wants us to get all the ideas right about what this is. I think that there's a purpose for us seeing Jesus in this way. I think it, it must do something to us. It must change something about us. If we see Jesus, the holy anointed one who takes our place and has been found worthy, then it better change us. 
You see, in the Bible, when people were confronted with an angel, what was their natural response? It was fear, wasn't it? Because every time the angels met with somebody, they'd have to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And even Jesus, when people saw his power and his might, in Mark 5, he's on the, he's on the boat with his disciples, and there's a storm that comes up, and they're afraid. And so he gets up, and he, he calms the storm, and he calms the wind and the waves. And they say, who is this man that can even control the wind and the waves? And they're afraid. And immediately upon stepping on shore, he steps out and a demon-possessed man runs at him, full of many demons. And what does Jesus do? He casts them out into pigs, multiple demons. And what happens to the people around there? They're afraid and they ask him to leave. You see, when we see who Jesus is, when we see the true image of who he is, it should make us a little scared. Not because he is bad, but because he is powerful. This image is a call to come close to the Holy One who stands between us and a holy God. Draw close to the one who stands among the churches because he loves you and he has taken your place and he has been found worthy. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through, 20, through 15, it says this, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. You see, if Christ takes our place on the cross, then we had better take our place in being serious about following him. I'm not gonna go in detail about chapters two and three of Revelation, but I do want to, to kind of discuss them a bit. Because you see here, if we don't get the idea of Je the image of Jesus in Revelation one, then it affects two and three. And what is in two and three? It's the churches. It's the people that Jesus was, taught, was, was writing this letter to. And he uses a method to talk to each and every one of these churches. There's four things that he says to each and every one of the churches. He says, well, first off, not all the churches, there's like a couple who have nothing bad said about them. And there's one that has nothing good said about them. But the, the, the um, way of going through this is the same. And here's, here's what he says first. He first says to the churches, I know you. I know you. And in most cases, except for the one that had nothing good said about them, he offers praise. You see, Jesus stands among the churches. He knows us. He knows. He's not oblivious. He doesn't, it's not that he doesn't know what's going on. Jesus sees our suffering. He sees our sacrifice. He is not blind to the faithful work of his followers. He says, I see the choices you made to not live like the world, but live according to your faith. I see that. I know you. To the person who is living in jail in China, living out their faith, Jesus says, I see you. To the person widowed and lonely in a care facility, Jesus says, I see you. You're not alone. To the person feeling, fighting cancer and feeling defeated, Jesus says, you're, you're not alone. I see you. To the family struggling to make ends meet, but they continue to give faithfully to the church. Jesus says, I see you. I see what you're doing. To the student bullied for their faith, Jesus says, I see you. I am not oblivious to what is going on. I know you. I know your heart. I know what you are doing. But he does say this to all the churches. He says, but I do have this against you. 
to most of them, he says this. You see, Jesus sees, sees who we are, but he also sees our sin. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows, he sees and he knows what is happening in the dark parts of our lives. See, so many people don't want to do the hard work of letting God work in their lives to overcome their sin. And instead they choose to hide from it. They choose to avoid it. They choose to ignore it. We do that, don't we? But Jesus is saying, if we, there's some things, if we don't get them figured out, they will kill us. We will die, both individually and corporately as a church. And if that happens, Jesus will remove the lampstand. There are four things that he calls out into the churches, four things. The first thing is this, apathy. In fact, the first, first, person that, or first church that he talks to is Ephesus. Ephesus is, is a pretty well-known church. Uh, it's kind of the, the mega church, I guess, of the, of the ancient world there. Um, it is one that has a lot of great uh, speakers. They're really well-known. In fact, Jesus' mother, Mary, uh, ends up living there along with John. And, and it's, it's kind of according to tradition. And it's, it's this really famous church. They have strings of great people going out from there. And what Jesus says to them is, is you guys have done an amazing job of remaining pure. You, there's a lot of things going on around you, and you are, you're keeping it out of the church, but I do hold this against you. You have lost your first love. You have become apathetic. And I thought Terry last week did an amazing job of speaking on this exact topic of, of you can have all these amazing things present in your life, but if you don't have love, you are worth nothing. It's a challenge to them. If you get bored in following Christ, then it means you're not actually following. You're not engaging. Wake up and engage. The second thing he calls out in churches is sexual impurity. Sexual immorality is rampant in our world. And it's also in our churches as well. All across the world and our nation, we are seeing sexual immorality destroying churches. It breaks my heart. Leaders falling to scandal. You see, Jesus is very serious about holiness. The third thing we see here that he calls out to the churches is false teaching. And I see this tends to go hand in hand a lot of times with sexual immorality too. Why? Because we like to rationalize our sin, don't we? We try to make it more palatable. And instead of allowing God's word to change us, we try to change God's word. Well, that can't exactly be what God means here, right? That, that can't be exactly what, what he, he is calling out. That just doesn't seem right. But the reality is, is it doesn't matter what we think about it. It matters what God actually says. God's word better change us. And if we change God's word, it is not truth. It is, it is false teaching. And the fourth thing that he calls out is materialism. Putting things in the place of God or putting things in the place of God's people, our fellow brothers and sisters. So what he does is, first off, like I said, he, he says, I know you. Secondly, he says, I, have the, I hold these things against you. But the third thing that he says to each and every one of the churches is he gives them a promise to those who overcome. And this should be an encouragement to each and every one of us. There's not a single one of the churches that God says, you have no chance. To every one of them, even the one that there's nothing good said about, he says, he still gives them a promise, an encouragement, a call to victory. You see, Jesus doesn't just call us out for our sins. He calls us out from our sins. There was, there was no one, there is one like the son of man 
There's one like the Son of Man who stands among the churches. And because he has been where you are and because he is where God is, he's able to bridge the gap that needs bridged between our sinful lives and a holy God. See, there's an amazing image that we saw there. If you notice in Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man goes up to be with to be with God, the one who has white hair. But in Revelation, the Son of Man has the white hair. That means the Son of Man is no longer with God. The Son of Man is God. That is a powerful thing. Jesus bridges the gap between our sinful lives and a holy God. Maybe you're wrestling with a, a secret sin or a struggle that you haven't worked through. Jesus is saying to you, he is with you. Do not give up. Do not give up. Maybe you have an addiction that you haven't been able to overcome. Jesus is saying, I am standing among you. Do not give up. Maybe you have a wayward son or a daughter or a grandchild you have been praying for for years. Jesus is telling you, do not give up. Remain faithful, remain strong. Maybe you have a health issue that's been beating you down. And Jesus is saying, do not give up. I am with you. Maybe you're in a marriage that's really struggling. Jesus is saying, I am with you. Jesus is among the churches and he is calling you out from the darkness and into the light. And for those who overcome or are victorious, there is a reward. The greatest comfort for many of us in our faith walk is that the reward is worth the struggle. And the last thing he says to each of the churches is this. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. You see, this message wasn't just for each of the individual churches. It was for them collectively, and it's collectively for us today. This is a message for each and every one of us to be able to learn. It's a call to the church as a bride, as an example. We are the bride of Christ and Jesus is serious about holiness, he is, but he is also serious about redemption. And he is begging each and every one of us, please listen, because there is a reward. Do not give up. Remain strong. The Son of Man is among you. There's a story in the Old Testament of the Israelites. They're, they're going and they're wandering around in the desert. And there's vipers, there's snakes that begin to bite them and some of them begin to die. And so God tells Moses, he says, set up a, 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 gold, a, um, a bronze serpent on a pole. And there's this image that's there. And he says, if the people will look on the image, then they will live. But if they will not, then they will die. And you see, once again, we have these images of Jesus and he's reminding us to look upon the image of Jesus. Look upon the image of Jesus and you will not die. Most people don't die because of the serpents in their life. They die because they take their eyes off of the image, the image of Jesus. So to the worn out, frustrated, lonely, beaten down people, I encourage you to remain strong. Overcome. Because there is one among the churches who is faithful and he remains there. Let me finish with this passage. So we have stopped evaluating other humans from a human point of view. 
At, other t- at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was Christ and reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be our, the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, let us get this image of you right. Let us see you for who you are. Because if we get that right, then it changes a lot of things about us and help us, give us the strength to be able to work through those things. But Lord, it is such an encouragement to know that you are there with us. Let us not avoid the things that need to be dealt with because there is a reward that is worth it. Lord, I thank you for the faithful people here. I have no doubt that you also look at us and you look at people here in this church and say, I know, I know you. Remain strong. Remain strong. Lord, help us to remain strong in this world. Help us to be a light and a beacon. Help us to be people who reflect the image of you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.